Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. This week on the podcast, I have a great episode for you all. It's an interview with my friend Jimmy Lee. The interview went way longer than I expected it to, so I don't want to take too long here. just want to get straight to the interview, but before we do, I just want to ask you all to check out his website veritasdomain.wordpress.com veritasdomain.wordpress.com Jimmy runs the blog Veritas Domain. You can also follow him on Twitter and on Gab. On Twitter, you can uh, find it. Uh, the page is called The Domain for Truth. And it's just at domain for truth. On Gab, it's at Veritas Domain. And the name is also just the same Veritas Domain. So veritasdomain.wordpress.com. And then on Gab, at Veritas Domain. And then on Twitter, at domain for truth. And go check out all the great content that Jimmy puts out. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Hey everyone, I am here with my friend Jimmy Lee. I don't know how many of you know who he is. I think probably a fair number of you have heard of him, or if you haven't heard of him, you know about his blog. So I'm going to let Jimmy talk a little bit about himself and uh, get himself some free advertising for his blog. Yes, uh, thank you, Jeremy. Um, it's an honor to to be interviewed by you for your podcast and even hopefully we'll pray, prayfully edifying conversation and one that equip others. Uh, so I run the blog of uh, veritasdomain.wordpress.com. Been, that was a blog that my pastor started, but over time, um, my pastor's now, uh, my old, excuse my old pastor is, is now does missions and uh, some creative access nation. So you, nowadays I just usually am the one that blogs um, resource on presuppositional apologetics and reformed theology. That's cool. I grew up in a, a small fellowship, more independent fundamentalist Baptist. I became reformed in college and there was a really big push on missions. So I heard all about, you know, creative access nations. If anyone isn't familiar with that, it's uh, basically you don't tell people what country you're going to. And uh, as far as that country is concerned, you're there for business, not for missions. Wow. So, you know, the lingo, I, I didn't yep. even realize I, I, I use the lingo. Yeah. yeah, I went to the Bible college for the fellowship I grew up in. I became reformed at a very not reformed Bible college. It was interesting. But yeah, there were times where like we'd have a chapel and they normally Facebook live them, but they'd say, hey, we're not Facebook living this. And we would like for any of you who take pictures or videos to not post them online because of the country this person is a missionary to and stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're familiar. That That's pretty neat. That mm -hmm. background. Um, even yeah just sometimes even knowing uh shapes how we pray and support 
those that, that are doing the work of God and advancing the kingdom of God in other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, we are on uh, this episode. We're going to be talking about presuppositional parenting. And now you might be wondering, how does this relate to theonomy or to economics? And to try to bridge that gap a little bit, I want to say everything that is presuppositional and some is in some way related to theonomy because theonomy really is just the presuppositional worldview applied to uh, politics. So the presuppositional worldview applied to uh, apologet- apologetics is presupp apologetics. Applied to counseling, it is biblical counseling. Applied to politics, it is theonomy. So these are all different uh, things that I think if you're a consistent theonomist, you will uh, agree with all of them. I don't know where Jimmy stands in this, but I think you could even make the argument that abolitionism as opposed to the pro-life incrementalism is also related to that presuppositional understanding of things. You're nodding your head, so I think you're in agreement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do see as a my direction now is uh, I'm leaning very uh, with abolitionism that rather than just a secularized world, you know, or even a Christianized form of pro-life movement, just to be uh, consistent um, with what God's law and God's in the Christian worldview of, of human life and justice is. Yes, Great. I agree. Amen. Yeah. And then I'd also say parenting is related to economics because, well, for one thing, ekos or ekois namas, house law is what economics breaks down to in Greek, oikos namas, I'm sorry. It's been a little bit since I've taken Greek and I never took like a full Greek study. I just took like two semesters. Um, and so, you know, things about the economics of the household, I mean, parenting is you raising your children up to be one day's the mother and or father, you know, mother if she's a woman, father if he's a man, because we're not all about that transgenderism stuff no matter what people say about us being Baptist and transgenderism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So basically all that to say, this is related to theonomy and economics, maybe not directly, but indirectly. So, and so with that, I want to let you get started on what you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, just even building upon, um, uh, I think some of the shows I've listened to, to you speak is, is about economics. Uh, I personally think you probably know a lot more of economics um, but this is where I think even with Christian scholarship and, and discipling and, and all that, we are in a community, right? There's things of different strength. Though. But I think this is also related um, for those that are, are listening, that are listening more for the dimensions of economics. Because, you know, among economics, among other things that we do with investment, with, with things involving for human flourishing, the human capital is one of the most important elements that we could sometimes forget. We could think about everything else for investment. Um, in terms of non-personal things, of funds, of money, um, and, and all that. But we must never forget the importance of human capital. And even for a flourishing society, you know, in terms of God's common grace, even in the secular world or, or the world that's not all Christianized, I think uh, our contribution as we make disciples, as we share the gospel, as we even construct things biblically in every sphere of society, is it always begins with individuals and individuals um, who have been taught in, in the context of family, uh, of God's value, of uh, biblical values, and even of God's word. So I think this is related to this. Um, it is um, it, to contribute for human flourishing. I think it's important that we have a biblical view of family, of raising kids, 
and all of this. And this is a long-term view of things, including uh, impacting the next generation, some of the things we would like to see. Yeah, so long-term economics there. Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm glad that you're on the show. So um, yeah, so uh, and I, again, we're talking about presuppositional um, parenting um, and some of it would overlap just like what you said so beautifully, Jeremy, that when it comes to what does God's word apply to um, counseling, um, there's a sense where it is, we call it biblical counseling, but there is an overlap in some sense, or there's a lot of parallels of, with that. So I hope today we'll talk more about um, specifically presuppositional apologetics in our consciousness, both to help us as parents and even uh, as parents ourselves, and even what we actually do with, with kids. Now, Jeremy, I believe you're going to, your uh, wife is expecting, is that correct? Jeremy? Yeah, we have a baby due in less than two months now. So here in a couple months, there's going to be a couple weeks of uh, the podcast where I'm dropping things that I pre-recorded because I won't probably have time those first couple weeks to record a new episode. Wow, that, that's exciting. Um, mm-hmm. That's exciting. Is it, could I ask the gender? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, we're going to have a guys... girl. Okay, praise God. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I have uh, three daughters myself. Um, even talking about parenting, yeah, just a little bit of myself. I've been married for um, 12 years, uh, 12 years and, and one month. Um, and we have a, a 10 year old, a nine year old, and a seven year old. So cool. um, that's, that's the age group uh, with our kids. That's cool. Uh, some of mine and my wife's, Rose, some of our best friends are pregnant with their first baby right now, due about three weeks after us. And we were really hoping we'd have a boy and they'd have a girl and maybe things will work out between those two when they got older, but we're both having girls. So we just joked around. We got to try with more kids then to see if we can get a, you know, not arranged marriage, just, you know, see what happens between the two of us. Yeah. You're increasing the pool supply yeah. for the human capital for mm-hmm. marriage or future marriage. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. I, I think uh, uh, maybe for our discussion um, is we'll just talk about, you know, in, I also want to hear what you have to say too, Jeremy, just even with these parts. Um, um, I want to look at today just first with like presuppositional apologetics and how does it fit in with married couples um, that don't have kids with things related, you know, they, whether they want kids or, or something, um, challenges with having kids and how does that in some sense is beneficial? Um, even for married couples that are not, then maybe head towards the direction of uh, how does presuppositional apologetics fits with those with newborns and toddlers and even with older kids that you're able to talk and they're able to start reading and writing or are fully reading and writing. Um, maybe that'll be a good direction laying out the, I'm, I'm still a preacher. That's like three points right there, right? Three different groups <laughs> right there <laughs> with that. Yeah. So, so I guess the first one is maybe this is uh, somewhat related to you uh, too, Jeremy. So even as I share, I was just thinking about, um, as someone who loves uh, apologetics and specifically biblical worldview-driven apologetics where the contents of the doctrines of scripture um, that would be Calvinistic and reform, how does that apply to apologetics? And so w- with the context now, I want to talk about those that are married. And I know perhaps some listening um, to your show, Jeremy, might not necessarily have kids yet. They could be in a stage of life where they don't have kids or even those that um, might not be able to have kids. I think there's a sense, I don't want to make this excluding in, in some negative ways, but you know, I think it's fair to give some minutes of some words about this. Uh, I think for those that don't have um, kids, um, 
And sometimes there's some that can't. This is still relevant also in actually studying um, presuppositional apologetics. And what I mean by presuppositional apologetics, let me back up a little bit, is the apologetics that Van Til kind of summarized, where we believe it's by the Bible, driven by the Bible, that everyone knows God. And our method must be consistent with the systematic theology and the doctrine that we retrieve from Scripture. So in light of this, uh, we would say things like all people know God. They suppress the truth. Um, people are not neutral. They're going to be interpreting everything according to a worldview. It's either the issue is a biblical worldview or non-worldview. And we argue with the non-believers by saying the non-believers do know God, but the position and all their epistemology or all the building blocks of a worldview, epistemology, which is how you know what you know, your view, value of ethics, um, and also your view of reality. Um, only the Christian worldview is consistent and could provide the foundation for us to do things like reasoning and, and discussion, including the debate of God's existence itself. Um, so with that, um, I think this is even applicable for those that don't have kids, because sometimes, um, sometimes those, at least for myself as a pastor, there could be those that want to have kids and they pray for a while. I don't know, Jeremy, um, you just got married, right? Um, I don't know if any time in your season in your life, you want to pray for kids and it seems like it's taking so long or that's probably not true in your case. Cause I think you have kids or you got your wife got pregnant pretty young. Is that fair to say, Jeremy? Am I yeah, she got pregnant right? pretty quickly after we got married. So that hasn't been the case for me. Okay. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, even the church, we, we see this as a gift from God whenever anyone has children, but also sometimes there could be those that are godly um, with no fault of their own in God's in light of, places like verses like John 9, that God means to glorify himself in different ways with different individuals. I know couples sometimes that don't have kids will come to me as in my official role as a pastor to say, could you pray for me? And I'll ask certain individual, what's your biggest concern? And then for them, it could be like, oh, I don't have any kids. That's my biggest concern. We're wondering if there's something wrong with us or there is challenges. What do we do? And I think this is where presuppositional apologetics comes into encourages too, because sometimes when every one of us perhaps have different things we pray for, like non-believer parents or family and friends and siblings that are not safe. And do you ever have this journey, even outside of like kids and stuff, like you feel like God is not answering prayer. You start wondering even whether or not um, the efficacy of prayer also as well, or it could be discouraging and we don't pray to God about certain areas. Do you feel that way yourself too, Jeremy, and maybe other areas outside of parenting? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I'm sure most Christians have felt that way at some point or another. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I think presuppositional apologetics with the transcendental argument or, or that formulation, I think we could also be applied with prayer that even in my own life, you know, I pray for my mom salvation. I don't know if she'll ever be saved. I've been praying, you know, for, for a few decades now or, or two decades. Uh, I'm 39. And even as I look back, um, praying for my mom, what helps me is I actually think when we pray to God, it actually presupposes the sovereignty of God. It would make no sense to pray to God um, if God is not sovereign. And that actually understanding that God is sovereign is actually a prerequisite or the precondition for prayer actually helps me in my prayer life to realize that um, if I really want to pray to God, and but if I have a wrong view, if my view of God is open or God is not all that powerful, he's not sovereign in various degrees, then it becomes unintelligible or not even meaningful to pray. So I think this is an example of how awareness of presuppositional apologetics um, shapes even our theology of prayer that actually encourages those that perhaps might be listening 
they don't have any kids yet, they're praying um, to say, hey, it still makes sense to pray in light of God's sovereignty. But we pray biblically like Jesus taught us, thy will be done as earth as it is in heaven. But certainly it is meaningful to pray uh, for those that are ch having challenges and are asking for intercession for prayer to have kids of their own. Yeah, and with that, to the common response, uh, why pray if God is sovereign? Um, give the now probably kind of cliche response. Why pray if God isn't sovereign? God's sovereignty means he ordains not just the ends, but also the means. God yeah. ordains that something will happen, but then he also ordains these steps that lead to it. And so God's answering of this prayer request you have, one of his means to that end is you pray asking him to do it, and then he answers your prayer request. So that it 100% happened because you prayed, but it also 100% happened because God ordained it to happen in eternity past. Yeah, yeah. I think that you, what you said beautifully um, fill in uh, aspect I wasn't mentioning about of how even God uses the means of our prayers and also us asking others to pray, such as the church and elders um, and pastors. Um, I think that uh, fits with that. So that's where I think presuppositional comes in, where we see prayer presupposes God's sovereignty. And that's in some ways also a doctrine that fuels our prayer also as well. When we have right understanding of God's sovereignty and even um, compatibilism, or at least with um, human means that God uses human agencies and, and others to accomplish as well. Thank you, Jeremy, for adding mm -hmm. that. Um, I also want to talk about like how sometimes um, this is a, a part of uh, being um, as a pastor, thinking about presuppositional apologetics is also the reality sometimes that we're comforted by God's sovereignty with all that we mentioned, but also the cases of miscarriage, those that want to have kids. Um, and this gets into the problem of evil. And I, I, you know, we see the issue of suffering. Oftentimes it's, it's not just a head knowledge of syllogisms. Um, uh, my personal opinion is I think the best handling of the logical issue, some of the logical um, syllogism and stuff with problem of evil, I actually really appreciate the insight of Gordon Clark. Now I'm a full-blooded Vantillian. I'm very heavily influenced by Bonson. But when it comes to the problem of evil, I actually really enjoyed uh, Gordon Clark's, um, in his book, um, Evil, the Problem Solved, I believe that was called. Um, uh, it's available at Trinity Foundation. I don't recommend everything on there, but at least with Gordon Clark with that, there's an ex-lex approach out of law where he basically says that, hey, God, if he's sovereign and he made all the rule, he never made a law that makes him violate, like where God has to bless every single one, everyone, no matter what. So, or, or God would never, he never, if right or wrong is always based upon God. And if we bite that bullet, then that means if it's based upon God, we can never say, we never seen scripture where God says he, he himself as God, as a creature, different than us as preach, um, correction, as creator, that, that was almost blasphemous there, right? Um, cre him as creator, he's different than creature. So this is a Vantillian theme that we often see, Reformed theology, creature-creator distinction. And if God is the maker of the laws and he himself made no laws that says, in his case, he allows evil to happen through secondary causes, then therefore there's no real problem with evil. But I also know um, with miscarriage, sometimes all of scripture is, is not just only the ex-lex approaches, all these things the Bible reveals, um, the reasons why God allows suffering, all these reasons we see in scripture, um, I think it has bearing even with miscarriage and stuff. Now, it's kind of hard to suddenly talk about apologetics um, and reading a Gordon Clark book in the middle of suffering and miscarriage. But I think even knowing presuppositional apologetics 
as a single man or woman is important even before you get married and even have kids or even miscarriage because suffering is one of those things the more you know ahead of time the more it helps minister to you um while at the moment in god's sovereignty you can learn through the moment of suffering god's truth but if the more we know ahead of time the more it helps that we recall these doctrines um that we've been taught to help apply and minister and comfort our soul pastorally from based upon his word anything to add with that jeremy no, I think you did really well with that. Okay. Yeah, and this is where um, presuppositional apologetics and biblical counseling bleed over when it comes to the case of ministering to those that struggle with um, holding on, trusting with God. Um, so if some people wonder why this sounds like biblical counseling, I think it comes together also as well. It's not either or, um, but it bleeds over. And yet we can make distinction with that. So I think that's important. Um, I also want to... Real quick, I want to say one thing. Um for people that aren't familiar with biblical counseling, what we're talking about here is the uh, approach to counseling that we would argue was the predominant approach among the Puritans and then was lost for some time and then was recovered by Jay Adams, starting with his 1970 book, Competent to Counsel. We would stand against the integrationist model that tries to blend uh, psychology and the Bible together. Uh, not that we say like everything psychology ever has to say is wrong, but that we take the presuppositional approach that psychology today is based in materialistic, atheistic, evolutionary worldviews, and everything they say is rooted in that. And so whenever psychology does actual true science, the biblical counselor is not afraid to use it. It's just we recognize that much, if not most of what psychology has to say is rooted in their evolutionary, materialistic, atheistic worldview. Yeah, well, well stated. Well stated. Uh, that's that's pretty good, Jeremy. Um, with that, um, I think uh, it would be fair for me right now to go over couples who are pregnant. Um, and maybe in your case, how presuppositional apologetics is relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's relevant too for those that are. Um, that are pregnant with children. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you have this, um, Jeremy. Um, uh, so when I heard, had one child, it was kind of, I, I think maybe this is, um, you know, the, the whole world doesn't not necessarily in, especially in the West today, does not necessarily always value kids. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anyone ever said anything um, that was truly unbiblical and inappropriate in kind of downplaying, the value of children, whether to you or your wife, whether comments about career paths or, 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 or you know, um, with feminist paradigms and stuff like that. I, it feels like for me, as I have more kids, sometimes people say, oh, whoa, like um, you can stop at three now. Uh, why, why, are you, why are you having more kids? Or they say things like, oh, um, kids, it's great when they're little, but it sh they're, it, they kind of downplay the joy of having kids. We'll say, well, just wait till the teenage years. It's horrible. You you shouldn't want to have more kids. You hear anyone say anything like to, like that to you guys before, Jeremy or, or your wife? Um, well, it's in the culture a lot. And I don't think we've mm -hmm. had people say things to us directly that much like that now. But mm -hmm. there's like that awkward moment when they're like, oh, what do you do for a living to me? And then they say that to mm -hmm. my wife. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. she works for a living. She just works from home. Yeah. That's not yeah. saying she's not productive. She's just productive in a different way. In a sense, her productivity is much more multi-generational than mine yeah. is because she's 
got a lot of the day-to-day work of raising our kids when it comes to homeschooling when Kaylee gets older and then when we have other kids. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- thank you for sharing that. Uh, it is definitely in our culture. And as we, you know, it's inevitable that we will eventually run into individuals that will say things. So I think actually presuppositional apologetics helps me also as well to continue to have confidence in God's word about the beauty of kids that, you know, what Psalms 127 teaches that children are our arrows um, and all those things. And even there's times where um, um, pre-COVID world, I was involved with a lot of campus evangelism. And I remember um, there's a almost this theme, like what we're doing to use this theme about there's intellectual schizophrenia with the world. I would evangelize. And I still remember when, when one of my kids was not even a year old and I had all three um, and one of them was less than a year old and I'll be evangelizing. And the world is schizophrenic when it comes to the area of sex. And those, I remember this one kid came up to me, like this college kid was very um, vile while I set up my evangelism table to share the gospel and use presuppositional apologetics. And the person was just saying, okay, you guys just want to control people and you're afraid of sex. And he was pointing that to me. But then later on, as we evangelize, as I'm sharing him the gospel, he realized, you know, one of the analogies that drew was about children, how they're sinful. And he was like, wait, how many kids do you have? And I said, three. And all of a sudden, the face changed. And he was like, wow, that's gross. How many, how old are you? And you just got recently married. And like, wow, that's like a lot, like, where becomes sex becomes a weird thing. So I bring that up as to say that in our world culture, they have different standards and values, but I also think it's good to point out the irony and the contradiction that the world can make fun of, for instance, the Duggars, right? But at the same time, they think it's it's okay to sleep around and everything else. But when it comes to the context of marriage, there's a difference of class of worldviews. So in apologetics, I think it's helpful, even when I'm evangelizing as our lifestyle is so different than the patterns, not necessarily everyone, um, in Southern California, where I live in Los Angeles, they're having the same values. But I feel presuppositional apologetics l- leads me to say that if someone challenges, say, okay, by what standard do you think what we're doing is wrong or gross or shameful? And, and where what is the basis of ethics also as well? So even when you're pregnancy, I think that allows, or when your wife is planning, or you guys are having kids waiting for the child to be physically born um, out of the mother's womb, I think that's also a time of presuppositional apologetics allow you to have the confidence to be able to articulate and be a witness to the world, even during the season that individuals are in or couples are in. Yeah. Am I talking too fast, Jeremy? Oh, no, go ahead. I think you're fine. If people think you're talking too fast, they can slow down the podcast catcher. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anything uh, you want to add to that, Jeremy? No, I think you're saying it very well so far and looking a little bit ahead in the notes and seeing where we're going next. And I think uh, this is getting really good. Like it's already as good, but it's going to get even better. Praise God. Um, yeah. Well, let's go uh, to the next point about uh, how does presuppositional fit in for a uh, parent of newborn and, and toddlers? I think, um, as I said, uh, knowing presuppositional politics is a great thing, no matter what season of life. Um, the application is more than just for parenting and, and having kids. But now I'm going to be focusing on when the child has actually been born um, as newborns and when they're young toddlers. And I mean, by toddlers is age where the kids are not able to read on their own or read on. They, if they read on their own, they need a lot of help still from the parents when they're learning their ABCs or putting sentences together. Um, I think uh, how it's presuppositional politics is helpful. Um, first and foremost is sometimes the application might not be for the children right away or others. This is the same thing like with mythetic counseling or biblical counseling. One of the things that I learned a lot from reading Jay Adams and others is sometimes 
even as a biblical counselor, even as a pastoral counselor, the person that I'm counseling might never change. But that does not mean God's word is void. The person that should always change is myself, the person that's using God's word. So I think even presuppositional apologetics help even um, for the mother and the father of a newborn. I still remember when um, my daughter Rebecca was born, it was just, it just blew my mind away um, how there's this little human being now that we take home and we have this responsibility as a stewardship before God. I was very aware that I don't own this child, but that this is actually God's child in the sense that it is a human life that they, um, that every children or, or at this moment, at that moment, it was Rebecca it was just only one is a responsibility. And I won't have her necessarily forever. God gives and take, I could die whenever God calls me or she could pass away or, or even she grows up to be an adult, which we hope and pray and we desire. But again, God is sovereign. And at the same time, what ministered to me is as when she's very little, when we're reading scripture, there's times where we realize, yes, she's very young. She might not understand the words yet, you know, as she's a little baby when I'm holding, or even when they're growing up to be a little bit of a toddler, we're trying to share with her about God. Um, what keeps me going is actually presuppositional apologetics. And, you know, um, I think in presuppositional apologetics, I hear people often bring up Vodi Bakram's analogy. And I think Sai Tenbuk and Kate um, have used the analogy of like the sword or the revolver, right? That it's God's word. It's powerful. Even if the other person that's the receiving end of, of the word of God being ministered or evangelizing them, it's so powerful, even if there's disbelief by those that are recipients. Um, just like if, you know, we pull a gun or a sword, it, it, it's not as if somehow it stopped working just because someone disbelieved or un, have unbelief concerning its efficacy or its power. So that actually encourages me in light of the self-evidencing word of God as a major theme of God's word. Um, I realize more than even just um, our nurture and care and compassion, those are very important vehicles God used to minister, to shape a child's life, to trust in God. Still, I also think it's important to realize God's word is most powerful. And that encourages me, even when they're so young, you, you don't know if it ever penetrates the heart to continue to go because of the confidence of God's word, um, knowing that God's word, um, the self-attesting character of God's word and the self-authorizing power of God's word also as well. So that encourages me to actually start reading the scripture to my kids early on. I realize as a pastor, sometimes as I lead certain people, um, shepherd their lives with their parenting, they would say, oh, we haven't started family devotional yet. We're waiting until the child could read. That could be at age five and some it could be age six, some could be four, but that's all those years. It's not as if the kids are not growing. And I actually think the more presuppositional we are, the more we have our reformed theology that shapes our apologetics, that shapes how we use the tools of, uh, that God has given us concerning beliefs and challenging unbelief, that actually stir us, that fortify, that reinforce our desire to even uh, have family devotion or read the scripture to your kids early on. Yeah. And even uh, then, uh, why wait until the baby's born? I think current yeah. prenatal science says around 30 weeks, so a little bit before seven months is when babies can hear outside the womb. So if you're doing family devotions two months before your baby's born, your baby can hear it. Baby won't yeah. understand what he or she's hearing, but still hears the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the beauty of um, uh, Van Til. Oh man, let me pull it out. I don't know if I'm thinking of this on the fly. You know, Van Til has a small little booklet about why I believe. And if you read his, why you believe, 
talks about how God is all conditioner, shaping everything in, in God's providence, even his life at a very young age, remembering hearing the word of God being read, and of course, his schooling and, and all of that, where he cannot deny God in light of that. So I think also related to this, um, I actually think there's an effect related to what you're saying. People hear, it's incredible how hearing is one of the last senses that we lose, even when someone's in the hospital, there's a sense where even those that are passing away, they might not be able to see, might not be able to taste, might have all these, but the sense of hearing is one of the earliest ones that we have, and also one of the last. So in light of this, if God's word is so important, and this is a receptor, a sense that's a receptor of God's word, I think we realize um, the beauty of just early on sharing. And as we have more kids, I discovered that um, each one might first child I thought read earlier than perhaps some of the kids at church, um, especially with public school kids, nothing to downplay. but I, I see that um, anecdotally with our church. But then I also noticed anecdotally, my second child learned faster to read and wanted to read because she saw her older sister when we do family devotional reading. And then the third child was even faster. I bring this up as to say, we must never discount that as we read that, that God's word as part of the environmental factors of how the kids grow up. We see the value and the importance of that. And also even, they might even, as we have more kids, um, them hearing and receiving more that they see someone that's their peer age group desire to learn. So there's that social dimension. So I think, yeah, we continue to, to do God's word, share God's word, and, and teach um, to foster belief, knowing that God gives the heart to believe, but God uses means of us teaching the word. Um, anything, Jeremy, you want to add with that? Um, I think I'm good. Did that sum up all you want to say in the second point, or is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. Um, I also, uh, this is more now in terms of fathers. Um, yeah. I think one more point related to how does presuppositional projects fit in a, a life of a parent of newborns and toddlers? Um, I think I always encourage fathers to never forget to minister to your wife. Sometimes I think we could easily Children are very important. We can swing the opposite extreme when the child comes and suddenly a couple no longer focus on the points as a husband and wife, but it's, everything's about the child. So I think important, one last thing to add is that also encourage even your husband to shepherd your wife also as well. And sometimes even with the wife as she's going through various things, I know it's kind of hard maybe to go to deep theology when the child's just been born the first few weeks, but there's a sense also I feel within that a year of just a mother of a child with newborn transitioning toddler, I think it's also encouraged her to read deeper things also as well. And even find podcasts, um, things like your show and other that teaches apologetic solution just for her soul to focus on more deeper things of God also. So I think that's another thing just to keep her soul going, um, including presuppositional apologetics. Yeah. Especially if you're going to homeschool, because while you as the father have the oversight of all of it, a lot of the day-to-day grind of homeschooling your wife is doing because you know you're at work eight, 10, 12 hours a day, and she's gonna be the one doing the majority of it. So the more knowledgeable your wife is about these things, the more she's able to teach to your children. Amen. Amen. And it could be let me say this too, like the first year sometimes it could be very hard. It was like it was very hard for our family devotional. Sometimes it could just be sitting there and just listening to a good message. Um, together, you know, you're holding the baby as a husband, um, you know, and, and just allowing her just to listen, 
uh, giving her a break while that's playing loud so uh, or out loud for both of you guys to hear. Um, so that's just more practical thing. Um, let me transition now to asking the third question is how do presuppositional apologetics fits for a parent of children? This is now where they're past the age of toddler, um, where they're speaking or reading age. And Jeremy, you beautifully hit this already anticipating we're heading towards even equipping parents already. Presuppositional apologetics, I think, is the framework for us, just not just only for defending the faith, but even learning or developing scholarship or training um, in education and in, in, in that dimension and sphere. So I think one of the practical ways presuppositional apologetics shows itself or how even apologetics pop up is when the kids um, start growing and they start asking a lot of questions. When kids ask questions, that is such a precious thing. Um, kids might not necessarily always ask their parents questions all the time, but it starts when they're little, when they're three to five. If you're one who takes parenting seriously, including fathers, um, when we come home, we could be sometimes tired, but never turn down the questions. Those questions are great hooks that we could turn around with their question marks or hooks to show them the things of God. So when they ask questions, some of it will be apologetics related. Like, how do we know this and this exists? How do we know? Um, Jesus Christ is real. How do we got our Bible? So all these questions would touch with apologetics. Um, there's a brother in the Lord um, that ministering to a discipling named James Hanna. Um, he's in the presuppositional apologetics group on Facebook. I think that's where I first met you, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was just uh, talking to him, he just got a book on the canon by Michael Kruger, who teaches at RTS. And that book is pretty academic. But as I, we were talking, I realized, wow, my own kids have asked me the questions, like, how do we get those 66 books in the Bible? So even as we read, um, as we're reading all these things, I think we realize we're kids, they ask some of the brightest questions. Sometimes they could ask some of the toughest questions that even adults um, might not even be asking. So I think in light of this, this is where studying for myself, just reading Michael Kruger, and he takes this, and there is presuppositional apologetics that I mentioned. And how you even define canonicity, I think in light of this, that actually helps us to answer the kids' questions, that we take things that could be the Greg Bonson Van Til, and then we read this and we try to make this, lower the, the cookies to the cookie shelf so that our kids can reach it. Sorry for the interruption here, but neither Jimmy nor I have Zoom Premium, so we were cut off at 40 minutes. But we stopped that, let it process the file, and then jumped on and finished the rest of it. So might back up just a tiny bit from where we just were, but here's the rest of our interview. Yeah, we're now on the third part uh, with how do presuppositional apologetics fit in with parenting. We mentioned earlier a bit about answering questions. I'm um, just going to say that real quick. Um, uh, whatever was cut out or not, um, just kids will naturally have questions. They're going to ask you questions. And I think knowing presuppositional apologetics allow you to still have a biblical worldview as your foundation and even shaping your method and answering um, various kids' questions. But I also think it helps too, even for my daughters, for instance, um, you know, they'll ask certain questions, but also I would ask them questions back too. I think when I look at Jesus in the Gospels, sometimes when people ask him questions, he responds with a counter question. Not that he's dodging, 
but he's actually asking questions to make his listeners and those that ask the questions deeper. So I, I think um, it's very helpful, presuppositional apologetics, um, in even asking, uh, answering, and also asking the kids question. I think uh, last time we were about to cut off, we were talking about even the canonicity, um, how even the questions of which books and, and all that uh, should be part of the scriptures. Um, and there are guys that are some, there are some guys that are more academic from presuppositional apologetics. I think it's good when we read this as fathers, um, even as mothers, and then to try to dumb it down for our kids also as well. That will also require a skill set uh, of learning how to teach. And I think when we pray to God, ask him for help, I think God could also help us with that also as well. And definitely with a biblical foundation as our apologetics, that's even much more helpful and how we engage our, our kids with answering their questions. Yeah. And you mentioned Vody a little bit ago, Vody and his book, uh, uh, Expositional Apologetics. Is that what it was called? Exegetical yes. Apologetics? Yeah. That, and his uh, book. Uh, it's a really good book. If you already are a little bit studied in precept, there's probably nothing in it you don't already know. But it's a very good basic book on precept apologetics that really gets at evangelism and the importance of that in apologetics. because that's one of the primary goals of apologetics to evangelize and make the person without excuse before God, which they already are. We're just really solidifying that. Yeah. And uh, he says in there that what he tries to do is basically answer their questions before they ask them. And he draws on that from the apostle Paul. You look at the different Pauline epistles, mm. especially Romans and Paul's like uh, answering the question they're having in their mind before they even say it. I mean, of course, he's saying it before they ask the question because it's a letter. Paul didn't have a calling and video chatting like we do now in the first century. But that's a lot of what Precept Apologetics tries to do, or at least how a lot of people try to use it, is to answer the person you're talking to's questions before they even ask them. Now, that might look different with your three or four-year-old child versus a 30 or 40-year-old adult because uh you might want to let your child ask the questions first to kind of know what they're thinking, not try to guess what questions your four-year-old is thinking. But you can also do that if you, you know, whatever you think is appropriate with your child and your child's age and capacity at that age and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, building upon with that too, um, I think, uh, and this is more of a, uh, the bridge between uh, applied presuppositional apologetics and also even with the intersection of even family devotion. For me, uh, I, I know when we do, even I think sometimes people could picture pastors have all the time. They must have the most perfect uh, family devotion because that's what they do with their job. And I know sometimes even we've seen other pastors, that's not necessarily true. They could be busy preparing sermon, but then they come home and they're tired or they're ministering to others, doing Bible study, being in the office, um, counseling hours. So I feel all of us as men, if we're uh, following God, we're being productive in different callings. And I think one of the things I often tell people with family devotional for the men, for the fathers is um, you can have more than one thing that you're doing. Um, so right now I'm going over with my daughters um, through Exodus. And, and this is a long detour to get to the point of um, having different variety of devotional for our family devotion um, is a good thing. And the kids like this too, just like all of us, we don't eat the same thing. We don't wake up. Every all three meals, we eat oatmeal all day. At least I don't think most people do, right? Um, we like different varieties too. So I think sometimes with family devotion, we could sit down and say, hey, let's have a time of questions. 
and answers also as well. We anticipate the questions, we answer them as best as possible as fathers, um, what Paul did, those are great examples. But sometimes you'll be surprised just sitting there asking them questions. Um, this is where for some of us, could easy, we could easily say, oh, that's easy. I don't have to do anything. But in another sense, handling, facilitating questions, at least even for myself as a pastor, when we have questions and answers um, forum for conferences and stuff like that, or, you know, like local church conference, it'd also be the time that it might be easier in the sense we were not preparing for a message, but also be the ones that now you're calling everything you ever learned. All the things you're learning about theology, presuppositional apologetics, Bible, biblical theology, biblical counseling, and, and Christian living, and, and, and all that comes together. So I think for us, knowing presuppositional apologetics, I actually think sometimes the best thing is that allows a framework of how do we even think about questions. We don't compromise God's word. There's no neutrality. But even going further, what's a worldview? What's the undercurrent of a worldview that drives these questions? So I think that's helpful. Even uh, And if I could just make one more point. As I grow in apologetics as a pastor, I realize one of the signs of maturity is I actually think it's not just reading the more deeper philosophical books of precept. There is that. But also, I also enjoy reading a more holistic as I grow as a father, as a parent, because I'm also reading easy or apologetics booklet uh, or books, because I want to be able to teach my kids. I want to see how do these people dumb it down? And then you could take what they do or also, you know, I always encourage Christians. Um, our life is short. I think you're, uh, you, you appreciate Gary North. I think understand yeah. that sometimes people say you're like the meanie Gary North or something like that. Right. Jeremy. <laughs> that. <laughs> so one of the things I really appreciate Gary North is his point that life is short. And, and be wise, or at least the general thrust I get from is be wise. So I think whatever we do, we should not just blindly carbon copy things, but whatever we do, we want to make it where we're not plagiarizing. We put our own fingerprint on things, so to speak. So we look at things and we could always say, what could I tinker with something to make it even more specific for our family? But even, I think, challenge Christians to even make it even better also as well, whatever we do um, to advance the Christian work of anything. So as we do this, I think also that helps us to explain to our kids. Now, it's going to be very hard to talk to your kids. Um, I probably do not tell my kids um, this is a transcendental argument. I don't think I've said this. I think, they, if they, I think the girls, my daughters know because they heard me uh, talk about it to others, the transcendental argument. So you might not use technical terms. I actually encourage, and this is where, you know, if I could just plug the blog a little bit with Veritas Domain. WordPress.com. I think when we teach little kids, we probably need to use a lot of analogies. And Van Til also as well is famous for some of his analogy. And I imagine, Jeremy, you probably have heard his illustration about um, to slap the father's cheek if a rebellious child needs to sit on the father's lap to even be able to slap the father's cheek. And that's a beautiful illustration of the transcendental argument that you need to presuppose or have this foundation, the Christian worldview or the biblical worldview to even raise an objection against that. So if you go to the blog on veritasdomain.com, you know, there's, a, if you just type in the search engine, you know, apologetics illustration, I have about 80. I think I've worked on this for the last 11 years. Um, there's some of the guys in the pre-sub group that say, hey, why don't you make this in the booklet on, on Kindle, um, you know, Amazon, you could self-publish now. But honestly, before the sight of God, I just thought like, man, if I could have this just for free, to help people, whether they're preachers or teachers or evangelists, or even with parents, I think that would be helpful. So if you're on there, um, I often use a lot of illustrations when I evangelize, but I realize even when I shepherd my kids using analogies, 
that they could understand and, you know, to make the girls laugh, but they're laughing because they understand and see the folly of unbelief also as well. Yeah. Let me connect you with some people. They don't really know me, but I've emailed with them a little bit. There are some people that Conley Owens connected me with, if you know who he is. Mm, yes. First Love Publications. You can publish with them and they will give your book out for free. They wow. don't charge for uh, for books. They hold to something called the Dorian Principle. I don't know if you listened to that episode or not. Um, actually, okay. they held to the Dorian Principle before Conley published the book. Basically, wow. he just gave them a name for what they were already doing. And I know they're okay with pre-sup because I already have one or two books about pre-sup on their site. So I can go find those emails Conley gave me earlier this year and pass them on to you. And maybe you can publish with them and they'll give the books out for free. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely will. And this is where, man, we're apologetics. I think if there's one thing about parenting and this is related to parenting is we, we can never do it ourselves. Fathers and mothers can never do it ourselves. We need God, but also by God's economy of grace. Also, we need each other. So, th- so I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy. So we're living this out in some ways, applying this. Yeah. Also, I got to say, I didn't realize that the analogy about the kid slapping the dad's face sitting in his lap came from Van Til originally. I thought Sai came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we need each other. Sai, um, I love, there's some really original illustrations he has. Um, there's some that he uses from others, but as we put our fingerprint, you know, it spreads out there. And um, even the principle of giving, right? We want to be able to you know, we have to make a living, but at the same time, sometimes, man, if we had to trust in God that this could bring more good um, to advance his kingdom, if some of these things, especially with ideas, are, are given out for free um, with that. Thank you, Jeremy, for sharing that. Yeah. If anyone doesn't know who we were talking about when we just said Cy, Cy Tenbruggen Kate, he's done a lot of videos and stuff like that to show people how to do pre-sup. He's like not the guy you go to do get really deep pre-sup. Not that he can't do it. It's just, that's not what he does. He's the one that shows you how to do it practically and then tells you, go read Van Til and Botson if you want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. And I actually think related to this, I think um, we must never forget the sanctity. You know, we don't talk about parenting and presuppositional apologetics and vacuum. There's a sense of sanctification and part of sanctification, I, I think is appreciating um, all the brothers and sisters with the various gifts and there's some that could be some of our precept guys are very great with philosophy. They're pursuing PhDs. And I appreciate some of these guys, some of the admins in, in the precept group. And then some are, are driven by the Bible, but also I appreciate the guys that are bring people to discover introductory. How many guys that join a precept group where I'm the admin of the group, they say, I found out through Sai or I learned about this. So we need each other and we need all that, the introduction to even as we parent also as well to say, how do we reach those that's learning or discovering things for the first time. Yeah. How I got into pre-sup was in high school, still today, but in high school, I was really into Answers in Genesis. And then Mm -hmm. I took an apologetics class in college and our professor, Dr. Greg Christopher, great guy. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard uh, he got one of the people from the Jesus seminar to admit that he was wrong. He was such a good apologist. Wow. Uh, And he had us read Ronald Nash's book, Faith and Reason. I know Nash is more Clarkian than he is Vantillian, but like that's still a really good book for helping you understand it. And then maybe a month after I finished that apologetics class, I started listening to Apologia Radio and Jeff Durbin more or less just gave me a name for what Ronald Nash and Ken Ham and the others at AIG had taught me how to do for years. 
Wow, praise the Lord. Um, I, I really appreciate Ron and Ash. Um, if he was still alive, I think uh, you would probably want to interview him, even though he's Clark King, especially mm-hmm. with you, Vic. And I've really appreciated some of the discussions he had with economics. Um, yeah. Yeah. He wrote that economics book in the 80s. I read it several years ago before I had ever even heard of Gary North. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was reading it, I was thinking, this is what it would feel like to read a Thomas Sowell book if Thomas Sowell was a Christian. Like it read like Thomas yeah. Sowell. But from a Christian perspective, although yeah, sometimes you read Thomas Sowell, it almost sounds like he's a Christian. Like, man, I wish he and Walter Williams had spent more time talking about Christianity before Walter Williams passed into glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my journey is the same. I actually um, read uh, Ronald Nash's book on. I think, I think the book it was a smaller book. But it was more popular from. It was something like it's the evangelical left, right, or something. I forget the exact title. Oh, yeah, before I, I read know that Gary one. Gary North. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's a fascinating, um, by God's providence, um, you know, the journey that we have, and certainly I'm sure some of the readers, uh, correction listeners, as we listen to this, have some similar journeys that we've come to found the reformed faith and the treasure that we have with that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would definitely recommend Ronald Nash. Some of his books, you might have to get off eBay because I think a lot of them are out of print now. Yeah. But they're good. He wrote on economics. He wrote on, uh, presuppositional apologetics. He even wrote against liberation theology, which yes. liberation theology is getting and growing in popularity now. It's just called by a different name. Now it's like the woke movement or the critical theory movement, which the quote unquote Christian version of that, if we can even call it that, is more or less just the new version of liberation theology. Yeah. My, my personal view, um, I have not read all the new books on, on woke, um, you know, response to woke ideology and theology, but I still feel his um, uh, his his book. Oh man, how could I forget Ronald Nash's? Um, oh, the title escapes me. How could I forget? Let me let me look up uh, real quick on the blog. You know, I also have a lot of book reviews on there too. Mm-hmm. So with his, oh man, how could I forget? Oh, social justice and the Christian Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I do appreciate exactly what you said. It's hard to find because it's out of print, but I thought it it was probably one of the better ones, even comparatively books that are post 2020 again i haven't looked at all all of it but his that um economic dimension i felt like it was so well um and walter williams um with that social science insight including economics and and then also um yeah from a christian lens uh with that so i really do appreciate um him for that um maybe this is related when we talk about uh with parenting this is where the next part at least in our run sheet um, was actually about homeschooling of how even when the kids are older to incorporate some of the things we're doing is actually using presuppositional apologetics sources, um, resources for our homeschooling. Um, if we truly believe that we, if we truly reject statism and unfortunately this is really hard for Christians, even some parents that I know that are conservative, um, in some areas, but they would, it's very hard to say, okay, I'm going to end fully consistently with statism. And, and sending my kids to public school and homeschool. So, but I also feel we're not alone in this time. There's also great resources um, that are presuppositional that I think should be included in our kids' curriculum, or at least definitely included with the parents, what they're reading to shape uh, what you're teaching. Um, I just finished with my kids, even though they're, they're under 12, um, Introduction to Logic by Jason Lyle. Um, Jason Lyle with um, his biblical creation ministry was a little bit more challenging with the kids, but 
I think, um, be ready to give a lot of analogies of fallacies and, and logic. And uh, Dr. Lyle has that. I do think of all the introductions to logic, I think that one probably is accessible for, for kids. Um, that's a presuppositional apologetics resource. So this also, again, presuppositional apologetics for parenting, we're, now what I'm covering specifically is it provides resource. Um, some of the books as where we can incorporate, integrate with our homeschool curriculum. Um, Every Thought Captive by Richard Pratt. Um, I think that's a very easy introduction. Um, Richard Pratt um, runs Third Millennium Ministry, thirdmill.org right now. He's an Old Testament professor. When he was, a, I think, a youth pastor, or correction, a pastor that was involved with teaching kids. I don't know if he it was actual youth pastor capacity. Uh, in the 70s or 80s, he taught like seventh and eighth graders and high schoolers presuppositional apologetics, and that became that manual, Every Thought Captive. Um, another one, this is less known, is one that's called, um, it's by a guy named Craig Beal. Beal is spelled B as in Bravo, I as in India, E as in Echo, H as in Hotel, L as in Lima. He wrote something called The Box, Answering the Faith of Unbelief. So he kind of has like these dialogues uh, be uh, between a Christian and non-Christian over time. I think that's also good for our kids to kind of introduce them and say, Hey, the world's unbelieving, but this is what it kind of looks like to share the gospel uh, with non-believers. And then, of course, Answers in Genesis, their various um, books and resources. Um, I think that's also helpful, which you kind of mentioned uh, yeah. that you read. Answers in Genesis is probably a good one if you're wanting to get content from a presuppositional standpoint for younger kids. Because even like some of the stuff that Vody Bachum or Jason Lyle have written that they tried to write in a lower level, still is probably kind of high for younger kids, but Answers in Genesis has stuff all over from like little kids to like Jason Lyle writing his really in-depth articles that some adults would probably yeah. struggle to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that, those resources are great. Uh, I really appreciate their um, answers for young kids. These are, it's like the cardboard book. Um, so there's like a bigger series, like of answers, um, series, but they made one for kids. We, we read through all of them. I think uh, the total of 50 questions when you count all those little nine little booklets. Hmm. Yeah. So they bring that. Also want to encourage parents because sometimes even as you read, if we say it's introductory and you feel like, oh man, it's still, I still cannot find something totally to kids level. And maybe I think we're maybe perhaps are sometimes doing it wrong too, where we, we got to find something as easy as possible for the kids to understand. But I also want to encourage you, don't be discouraged when you feel like, oh, I tried to introduce Richard Pratt, but it's still hard. Um, I actually think as Christians, we should think about advancing our kids' knowledge and stretching them to grow also as well. Mm -hmm. um, and even for myself, I'm always amazed in my community where I live at, these parents sometimes come to us and say to church, we got to have it simple. We got to have church be fun. But then I talk to the parents and they're like, Oh, so during the week, what are the kids um, when your kids can't come to school or, 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 or midweek fellowship and stuff like that, or you can't come to the Saturday group where we have to teach our kids, our church kids, uh, more in depth with scripture. And they were like, no, I have to have my kids study math. I got to have them study Kumon. I got to have them um, study, you know, tutoring for physics and, and, and all these things. And I'm amazed where we could encourage our kids in high school. Some of these families would be like, we want to have them take advanced placement, college level or even college classes already. But then when we come to the Bible and scripture, suddenly like, whoa, we got to have everything as Barney style or Sesame Street style as possible. 
And I want to challenge this. Even if the kids are being stretched, that's okay. We want them to, in every areas of life, we're talking about having our kids learn how to code or and STEM field, science, technology, and education, and math, and even homeschool. Sometimes I was like, I want to teach my kids Greek and Hebrew and classics and, and all this. But suddenly when it comes to the area of faith, we want things to be as, as simple as possible. And I think maybe what we need to do is realize, hey, we could teach them such a way it stretches them a little bit to challenge and say it's okay to grow. I think that's healthy and, and part of, um, of growth also as well. So don't be discouraged. Continue to do that as much as you can to bring things down to the cookie to the cookie shell at their level, but also as well say when they can't reach it, hey, this is where you're stretching their feet a little bit with intellectual growth. Yeah. And another thing with that I was thinking of too, if you're struggling to find something that's at your kid's level or like a little bit above to try to stretch them, if it's like nothing is even within grasp for them, then maybe that's when you just read it yourself, you try to understand it. And then you think through how you can explain it to your kid at a lower level than what the author you were reading or the podcast host you were listening to was explaining it at. Yeah. Yeah. And also think it, you know, related to that is sometimes look for analogies yourself to develop it. Don't just wait for others. We, we need others. But I think also read other people's analogy sometimes help with the kids. So that primes a pump so that you would be able to to think, I think all of us have probably have heard preachers that were very canned in the illustration that you heard the illustration, you know, he got it from one of those 1001 sermon illustration books where it's just so cliche. I don't know if you ever experienced that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether in chapel and stuff like that, but I always felt the best way as a preacher is you read those things, but also for me to look at my life and look at other experience, how could we could draw that? So I think even when we teach our kids, if we really say that pastors, husbands are pastors of the family then husbands and wives too, as we teach kids, we got to be one who's a priest to our kids in that way to really work hard with that too. Let me just uh, go on uh, to one of the other points. Um, I think presuppositional apologetics helps me with being a biblical counselor. Um, And, uh, you know, as I'm sharing this, I know I probably mentioned a lot about even I need help with others. and one of my weakness is I feel like my mind frame as a pastor, when I'm meeting people um, that I love, sometimes I don't have my best game on of discernment of what they say, crazy things or unbiblical things until later on, I drive back home and say, oh, that was crazy, but I did not at that moment say. It. So sometimes, especially with counseling with difficult people, I actually find, and I tell my wife this, I have to bring my apologetics game face where in apologetics, you know, on Facebook or other places when I'm talking to people, I'm very aware of what's wrong and pointing out the logical fallacies. But sometimes when I'm friends with people, this is my weakness. I don't catch it right away until later on and I hit myself in the head. So with biblical counseling, I also read things, apologetics, to help me to be sharp, to see things that are unbiblical, to show how it does not connect with biblical, it's not compatible with biblical worldview, or to show the argument does not follow. So how does this help with parenting is this too? We know with parenting, especially when the kids get older, when you can't always be using physical discipline and all this, you need to really shepherd the child's heart. A big part of biblical counseling is what the child thinks is a problem sometimes is not the main problem or the root problem. That's like biblical counseling 101. And the problem is their heart, whatever they have as an idol. So I think learning presuppositional apologetics helps me to be more logical and more precise, to be more sniper-like, to look at what is the root heart of my child's problem or, uh, you know, someone at our church 
or someone that a non-believer I'm witnessing to? What is a driving idol, the functional God that drives their behavior, that drives their um, sin and, and misconduct and, and all of that? So I think that also helps us. It's an adjacent field, but the more we read it, I think the more it helps us to think more sharper, clear, that helps with us shepherding a child's heart also as well. Yeah. Also, that's the title of a book that you're probably familiar with by Ted Tripp. Yes. Shepherding mm-hmm. a Child's Heart. Yeah. So I think um, I think it's almost like, uh, I think parenting is like a workout. Um, for those of you guys that are into working out and all this stuff, right? We make fun of the thing about what people that work out, they don't work out like, um, you know, like chicken legs, right? They work out everything, but they don't work out their legs. So I think to be holistic, I actually think when the more adjacent field we study, the more it helps with our parenting to, and, and exactly to go target the heart, shepherding a child heart, you know, uh, with that book, with that. Also think with presuppositional apologetics, we helps us when the kids get older to teach them discernment. The goal of parenting is not to shelter them with everything. There will be a lot of things we do not have in our homes, of course, as we practice biblical dominion with shepherding and training our kids. But I think practicing discernment as we point out things and presuppositional apologetics is helpful with that. There's one author named Peter Jones. He talks a lot about the new age and also a lot of the paganism that's in our culture. And yet he's also ventilating with his theme. He has um, bigger books, but there's also shorter books um, also as well. Um, I think it's I mean, Peter Jones. This is where I'm bad with names. <laughs> this is where I actually have to write um, book reviews. Part of the book reviews on my blog is not just to bless others. Originally, it was to bless me because I don't remember. I have a bad memory of the titles of books, um, but it's also helped me to remember what I read. Um, but the booklet that I, he has is called Pagans, a Heart of Today's Culture. Um, so it's a small booklet. Sometimes in my life, I feel life is short. I cannot read many big books, but if I could read a booklet that summarized with the same author, write it summary form, that's helpful. So that's helpful for me. Um, helpful for me to recommend others that in our busy world, sometimes people don't necessarily read big books. Um, so he has uh, that addressing that. So it teaches us discernment um, to, for our kids. Um, you know, some people watch Star Wars. Um, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say kids don't read it, watch it and stuff like that, but also be ready to point out the paganism as an exercise. So they could actually practice discernment when they're older, when they're reading other literature um, also as well. Um, so I think that's helpful with presuppositional apologetics, teaching discernment. And finally, I also want to mention it's a double-edged sword. Presuppositional apologetics is a double-edged sword. When I read Van Til, one of the things as I'm discipling and mentoring guys, when I'm reading, for instance, there's some guys right now I'm, I'm reading, going through as a you know, brother, discipling other brothers. As I'm reading Institute of Systematic Theology by Van Til, I discover that Van Til, oftentimes, he doesn't critique the non-believers at most in his writing. He often critiques believers and believing Christian apologists to be consistent. So I think presuppositional apologetics is a double-edged sword. I think Bonson did a good job of applying much more to non-believers, and he does critique even Christian apologists to be faithful. It's a double-edged sword for us, too, to say, hey, are we biblical? Are we fully biblical in the way we parent in our dominion of family as government? And even are we biblical in other areas of domain of work um, in all these other areas? And then even in the area of apologetics, when we teach our kids academically, when we educate them, are we fully 
consistently biblical. So with this, sometimes the change might not be with our kids, but it would definitely would be with ourselves. And sometimes when kids are older, they might be kids that want to apostate or a full rebellion. Presuppositional politics tells us that even though the kids, we want to compromise with them to use classical apologetics or other ways we compromise with them and meet them halfway. But presuppositional apologetics reminds us to be faithful using God's ordinary means of grace in our disposal to minister, to shepherd their heart, to target their heart of unbelief um, also as well, and yet also shepherd them to point them to the gospel with a thing where with a tool that God would use. That is his word. With that, anything, Jeremy, to add with that? Yeah, I want to step back just a couple minutes, something you kind of mentioned in passing, but the discernment, the worldview part when it comes to like watching movies or even reading books, that can be another way to do a lot of presuppositional uh, parenting or at least things I hope to do when uh, Rose and I have some children that are old enough to do this with is watch different movies with them that might have some things that kind of reflect the Christian worldview, but other things that really don't and just talk about it with our kids and kind of train them, help them build some discernment muscles for Christian worldview with things that don't always express it. Like um, I really like a lot of movies by like Miyazaki. I don't know if you've ever watched Studio Ghibli Miyazaki movies. Oh, I, I, that, that goes all above my head. <laughs> okay. Um, they're just different anime movies. Uh, Miyazaki's gotcha. a popular anime movie director. Shinkai, Makoto Shinkai is another. But because they come from Japan, they're anime. There's a lot of Shintoism that can get into mm. the movies or maybe not explicitly, but kind of implicitly in some worldview stuff. So things gotcha. like that can be different things to when Rose and I have some older kids talk through them like, hey, we saw how this person did this or that thing that in a way kind of reflected the Christian worldview, but like that wasn't his motive. And here's how we see the Shinto worldview of the Japanese man that made this movie shining through the movie in different ways and teach them how to see through things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think that's a good example, even for us. Um, you know, some of the books we read for kids, um, none, none, comes to my uh, mind right now, but there'll be certain values and ethics. Um, I think it's helpful with the precept framework of looking at ethics. That is, you know, governing behavior, what's normative and what's wrong, right and wrong. And even what is a view of reality, especially with the view of God. I think those two areas, you'll see a lot of things that where the world diverged is a wrong view of humanity and a wrong view of God. Um, so those are things precept helps us to be aware of and even also to critique and refute as well. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, anything else you want to say in closing? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, maybe in closing, just want to say that sometimes there's people listening in. Um, you might be in a church culture, in a church, but you are not saved yet. This is one just real quick message just to say that's you. Um, you realize all these moralism is important, but yet there's no foundation. I hope you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He does forgive and he does save and, and turn to him. Uh, repent of your sin, trust in Christ, that he died for uh, sinners who trust in him. Um, knowing that it is Christ being fully God, fully becoming fully man, came on earth to live a perfect life, died for us, was buried, three days later was resurrected. Um, so that he shows that our justification 
um, through faith alone in Christ alone is true, and we can't trust in him to save us. Amen. And I just want to add to that, if you hear that and you say, but I'm too bad, I've done too many bad things for God to save me, just look at the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, and you'll see that the apostle Paul, before he got saved, was probably like 20 times worse than you are, maybe 100 times worse than you are. Like, I'm pretty sure whoever you are listening to this probably isn't going around killing people like the apostle Paul was before he came to faith. So if God turned him into one of the greatest figures in church history, probably outside of Jesus Christ himself, the greatest figure in church history, then he can save you no matter what you've done. So thank you for coming on and talking about all of this important stuff for people to learn. Yes, it's a, a, my pleasure. Um, Jeremy, thank you. Uh, I am humbled that you're given this platform for us to discuss these things. So God bless you, Jeremy. So that was this week's episode, the interview with Jimmy Lee on presuppositional parenting. I hope you all liked it. I want to ask you all one more time to go check out his stuff with Veritas Domain. Link in the description. And that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Say